0: Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Thank you so much, uh, Brian, for your welcome. Well, some of you welcome anyway. <laughs> That's right. I did pass uh, some students. I felt sorry for them because they were in a classroom called Adam. And I thought, imagine being in Adam when you should be in Christ. (laughs) Uh, Let's pray uh, as we turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1. I'd like you to pray a prayer with me. The prayer is, Gracious God, speak to us now from your word by the power of your spirit to the glory of Jesus. Would you like to pray that with me? Gracious God, speak to us now from your word by the power of your spirit to the glory of Jesus. Well, there are so many sermons to preach from Genesis chapter 1. If there are any seven-year-old boys in the class, I imagine you'd like, to tell me, you'd like me to tell you about dinosaurs, but I'm not going to do that. You might think, what about science and religion? Was there one spontaneous big bang or a series of orchestrated six smaller bangs? What does Genesis 1 tell us about climate change? What does Genesis 1 tell us about our responsibility of humanity for the world? And how do we balance Genesis 1 rule over with Genesis 2 work and take care of? One great question. Why do people in the West think the best thing to do with the world is to tame it, control it, change it, rearrange it and cover it with concrete. I read a wonderful account of uh, a Roman Catholic missionary wandering through the Navajo desert with a Navajo Indian guide. And each night the guide would gather together some rocks uh, to build a fire to cook some food and then each morning uh, when they woke up the Navajo Indian would put all the rocks back exactly where he found them. And I thought, what a, different, what a very different way of thinking about the world than we in the West think as something to be tamed and controlled and used. I want to focus on <coughs> one particular theme from, uh, from Genesis chapter 1. I want us to glorify and praise and thank God, our creator, And I want us to rejoice in the glorious dignity of humanity. I want us to glorify, praise and thank God our creator and rejoice in the glorious dignity of humanity made in God's image. It's such a beautiful chapter, isn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth and then this constant theme, God said, let there be light or whatever. And then, it was so. And then, God saw that it was good. And then, and God blessed. So the chapter is jam-packed full of the sovereign power of God, the Creator. He speaks and the world comes into existence, as he said. And it's a good world that he's created and a world which he has blessed. And this of uh, this picture in Genesis chapter 1 is so fundamental to biblical Christianity. It's so wise to uh, neglect it or ignore it and then try and clamp the Christian gospel onto other views of the world which people hold. Views which may ignore the world or despise the world or worship the world or fear the world. If you're engaged in Bible translation, can I encourage you to translate Genesis early on because it's worldviews which need to change first before people can begin to understand the significance of Jesus Christ. And it's not enough for us just to know that God is the creator and be secure in that knowledge. We have to do more than that. Think of these words from uh, Romans uh, chapter 1. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen and understood from what has been made. But although they knew God, they neither glorified God, God, him as God nor gave thanks to him, but instead their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So our response to this glorious creation is not just that we know It's created by God, and it's a cure in that knowledge, though that is a good thing. But that we glorify God and give thanks to Him. So, knowledge of God without glorifying God and thanking God goes putrid, goes bad, it smells. Knowing God without glorifying God and thanking God stinks, it goes putrid. The right response to knowing God is to thank God and glorify God for who he is. And we, of course, know from the New Testament, there's even more glory in this creation. For in him, we read in Colossians 1, that is in Christ, all things were created. And in him, that is in Christ, all things hold together. So in the glory of creation, we see not only the glory of the creator God, But the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We so often thank the Lord Jesus for being our Savior, quite right, but we should praise Him too as our Creator, the one in whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created, and the one in whom everything holds together. You know, if God lost His attention for a moment, the universe would just disappear. Our life is that precarious and that secure. In Christ. No wonder we read in the psalm Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights above, praise him all his angels, praise him all his heavenly hosts, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars, praise him you highest heaven, you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. He established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, including, presumably, dinosaurs and so forth, and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth, All nations, princes, rulers of the earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His splendour is above earth and heaven. Well, every day, indeed twice a day, I have to walk my dogs Bertie and Beatrice. And Bertie and Beatrice love going for a walk. They love sniffing where other dogs have left messages of greeting and so forth. (laughs) So while my dogs are sniffing, what I do each day when I walk is to think, today I will praise God for the clouds. Today I will praise God for the little flowers in the grass. Today I'll praise God for the bark of trees. Today I'll praise God for the birds that I see. Today I'll praise God for the fresh air that I'm able to breathe. That is, I'm consciously and intentionally every day praising God, my creator, our creator, the creator, as the Bible tells me to do. We can also think of the wonderful fact that God created humans to be creative. So I love music, and what is music but a gift of God? that God enabled humans to create. What about writing? Isn't that a thrill? Or reading or mobile phones? Or heating and cooling? Or attractive clothes, even bow ties? Wonderful human (laughs) creations. (laughs) The wonderful, wonderful sights that we see every day which bring joy to our heart. I had uh, prostate cancer 10 years ago uh, and I was a bit worried about it, as one might be. So I used to thank God for the wonderful human inventions of antibiotics. They're a good idea, aren't they? And anaesthetics and hygiene are so wonderful they knew to wash their hands before they stuck them inside me. I even found myself praising God for the person who devised the plastic with which they made catheters. When you're grown up, you'll understand the need for those (laughs) things. Because until we had plastic catheters, they used to use bamboo, which I think would have been altogether less comfortable. So you can fill your life with thanks and praise to God, can't you, for all the wonderful gifts of creation. But then we should glorify, praise and thank God, our creator, who made us in his image. We can Praise God for the glory of God, but also for the glorious dignity of humanity. The climax of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. Isn't that wonderful? That they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, humankind, in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Wow. God made us in his own image and likeness. In the Old Testament, you're not allowed to have an image of God and of wood or stone, are you? Because they can't do anything, can they? So what are the images of God in the Old Testament? They are people like you and me. God made us to be his representatives, uh, reminders of God, advertisements for God in the world. That is who we are. That explains what we do, how we do it and why we do what we do. I was talking to Katrine Bramley this morning and she talked about the intrinsic worth of human beings. What a great expression that is. And how wonderful to know that. So when I, when I look at you, I'm, I'm meant to think to myself, you remind me of somebody I know. Now, who is it again? Oh, that's right. You remind me of God. That's what it is to be an image of God, a reminder of God, a representation of God. What's it like to do that, to be that? Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or 1 John, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an inturning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Or Paul in Ephesians, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example as dearly beloved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Because Christ is the image of the invisible God. To be like Christ is to be like God. To be a reminder of God is to be a reminder of Christ. To be a representative of Christ is to be a representative of God. One of the most beautiful women I've ever met was at St. Matthew's Paran. She was an elderly pensioner, she was very ill, she was very poor. She said to me after church one day, she had a kind of walker thing, you know, you walk around with when you're old. She said, I'm so pleased because the local council has given me money so I can go to the market each morning and buy food and cook lunch for my neighbours on the housing commission flat she was in. And she said, I always buy a bunch of flowers, so I put a flower on everybody's tray so they know they're special. And I thought, what a miracle of God's grace you are. God's worked in you so powerfully, so deeply, that you're not boasting. You're saying, I'm so thankful for this opportunity of service. She was a beautiful reminder of God, a beautiful reminder of Christ. I could see the goodness and beauty and compassion of God in Christ, in her eyes and in her life. I believe it was Voltaire who said, God made us in his image and we returned the compliment. And I guess there's a bit of image-making of God in our own image. And if Voltaire didn't say it, he probably thought it, so it's probably okay to associate with But we live in a different world, don't we? Uh, There is no creator now, our world has decided, so we have to make ourselves and create us ourselves in our own image, or rather, in the image of ourselves that we would like to be. So no longer in God's image, but in our own individual image. Let me tell you three things which young people are hearing today. Listen carefully. Little Lucy, little Fred, you have a moral duty to create yourself, your very own worldview, your very own morality, your very own identity, Your very own sexuality, your very own values, your very own destiny, and you can be whatever you want to be. There's no creator God, create yourself. The second thing our world is saying to little Lucy and little Fred, and you'll do this most authentically if you contradict the expectations of your parents, your family, your culture, your religion and your society. And the third thing our society is saying to little children is create yourself, but make sure you follow the rules just set out. That will be true, authentic creativity. You have a moral duty to create yourself. You'll do this most authentically if you contradict all the values that are around you, So, create yourself, but follow these rules. And if you don't, you will be unfriended, cancelled, unvalued, unheard, despised, and rejected. What a massive pressure to put on little children. What a wicked thing to do to anybody to separate them from the rest of society, including their parents. And give them a duty which the cleverest adult finds hard to achieve. And bizarrely enough, with this rampant individualism, we have produced a yet more conformist society where individuals are terrified of not being liked and feel immense pressure to conform to their peers. Where does this come from? Rousseau said, humans are the rare best when they're most natural. Most free of society, religion, and rationality. I saw on a bin in the gardens where I walk, it's a lovely quote, obviously from an anti-vaxxer. The obedient think they're virtuous when they're only cowardly. Isn't that splendid? The obedient think they're virtuous when they're only cowardly. Just think about it putting in assignments in on time and stuff like that. Remember that quotation. The obedient think they're virtuous, they're only cowardly. Or more alarmingly, from the Dalai Lama, uh, the ultimate authority must always rest with the individual's own reason and critical analysis. Isn't that amazing? So Buddhism produces individual responsibility, you see, very powerfully. What a wonderful escape we find in the God who made us in his image, in his likeness, and who gives us our identity, our calling, our destiny, our history, our hope, our meaning, our past, our present. And our future. When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, the human beings that you care for them? Little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honour, you made them rulers over the works of your hands, you put everything under their feet. How ironic it is that our world which thinks that we are, in fact, specks of unintended cosmic dust, yet we have the duty to create, and I quote, meaning in a meaningless world. Well, I never preach on sin nowadays without five minutes on the glory and dignity and high calling of humanity. Because sin doesn't make sense. If you're just a slug, sin doesn't make sense. If you're an accident, sin doesn't make sense. When I look at myself in the mirror in the the morning, I sometimes say, you are worth more than many sparrows. And occasionally I say, good morning, image of God, because I don't feel like it or look like it first thing in the morning, as you can probably believe. But this is so important for the way we think about ourselves and the way we treat other people, isn't it? And it tells us, too, of the dignity of daily work, of unpaid work, of mundane work of despised work of underpaid work it tells us of the dignity of suffering and the dignity of serving others like the lord jesus augustine said you've made us for yourself our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you we can adapt that you've made us like yourself and our hearts are restless until they fa- they find their identity in you. You've made us like yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find their identity in you. This is who we are. It's not what we look like or achieve or the work we do or our personal beauty. It is who we are as men and women made in the image of god this is our dignity our destiny our calling our identity our hope our meaning our past present and future glorify praise and thank god your creator who made us in his glorious image we're about to say the creed And I want you to say it at top volume, to raise the roof. Because when we say the creed, we're glorifying God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Let's declare it to our fellow believers, to the world, to Satan. And as we say it, let's praise and thank and glorify our gracious God.